invite you to turn in your Bible with me tonight to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel of John, chapter 3. A well-known story, but a really important story, a very insightful story. As tonight we're looking at the doctrine of regeneration as we continue in our series on the doctrine of salvation, the ordo salutis, the order of salvation. And we've already looked at just the overarching idea of union with Christ. Uh, we last week considered uh, effectual calling, and now we're looking at the regeneration. So John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses uh, 1 through 16, verses 1 through 16. Let's begin at verse 1 of chapter 3. <clears throat> now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, Uh, This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher from God, come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Uh, Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Uh, Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered, are you the teacher of Israel and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Let's ask for the Lord to bless his word. O God in heaven, we now come to you, Lord... We are the ground and the word is the seed and Christ and the spirit are the sower of that seed. And I pray, Lord, that tonight your word would take root and find good soil, a soil prepared by your spirit and that we would believe it and be encouraged and comforted and convicted. Lord, that you would, uh, you would use your word mightily as you do to create faith and to deepen faith. Uh, Lord, uh, thank you that um, you promised to bless your word as we speak it and preach it. In Jesus' name, amen. A question for you tonight. Uh, has anyone ever asked you if you were born again? Uh, that is a question that used to be a, a popular question. If, uh, for those of you who are old enough, Jimmy Carter, our um, president quite a while back, uh, was, um, he was uh, like our first born-again president. And so the, the title, Born Again Evangelical, is, was something that um, Newsweek and Time Magazine were we're talking about. Uh, the term was popularized in, in an attempt to try to d- distinguish true Christians from nominal Christians. Um, everyone recognized that most people, in, uh, then, this is back in the 70s and 80s, um, most people uh, said that they were Christian in America, and uh, that could be uh, for a variety of reasons, but many of them were Christian 
in name only. There was, there was nothing, um, since there was nothing really genuine about it. And so to be born again was just meant to distinguish. Uh, are you a real Christian? Is, is, uh, have you uh, experienced something God doing a work within your heart so that you've actually been converted? And so it's just meant to point out that a Christian isn't just a moral person or a person with a certain religious tradition or background, but a person is a new creation. Uh, that's the intent of the question. Well, we've been making our way through the uh, Ordo Salutis, the, do- the uh, doctrine of salvation, the order uh, as God applies his redemptive work to the lives of individuals. Last week we looked at effectual calling, and tonight we're on regeneration. Um, it is... Um, regeneration is very, very similar to effectual calling. In fact, uh, if you look at the Westminster Catechism Confessions, you won't note um, a um, specific catechism question, what is regeneration, because it is uh, under the theme of effectual calling. And so when the uh, standards talk about effectual calling, they're talking about regeneration. But um, over the years, the theologians have determined there is some benefit to making a distinction between the two, and, and, and maybe you could just say it's, it's two parts of the same thing, that effectual calling is that work of God uh, seen from God's perspective as he moves on the life of a person, a sinner, a de- dead in their sin, and as Jesus called Lazarus out of the grave, God calls that sinner to life. Uh, regeneration is, 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 in a sense, Lazarus' perspective, um, where... Uh, regeneration is what happens in us. When God calls, what happens? Well, what happens is life happens. And that dead sinner now is made new, miraculously, supernaturally made into a new person. Uh, The classic text for the doctrine of regeneration is here in John chapter 3. And it's a significant story because it it tells us a, a, a lot about how Jesus thought about um, what is a Christian. We, we uh, often think about a Christian as someone who does certain things. A Christian goes to church, a Christian believes, a Christian prays, and all those things are true. But this text really gets to uh, what is a Christian? What is that something that makes a Christian truly a Christian and that, and that distinguishes a Christian from every other religious person in the world. All, uh, right, there are all sorts of religious people who, who believe and who read their scriptures and who pray. What is it that makes a Christian a Christian? And we're going to see that that something is regeneration. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Well, um, the outline that you have there uh, given to you tonight, um, I'm starting out with the question. I put that in in quotes because Nicodemus uh, doesn't come to Jesus with an overt question, but it's an implied question. So here you have this man named Nicodemus, a, a ruler of the Jews. He's a Pharisee. And he comes and he makes a statement. It doesn't seem like a question, but there's an implied question here. And Nicodemus... Uh, is a perplexed man. He's, he's a sincere man. There's nothing about Nicodemus when you read the story um, that, that strikes you as uh, off-putting. Or He's not challenging Jesus. He's not testing Jesus, trying to trick him up. He's, he's just a perplexed man. He's experiencing 
internal, spiritual, and theological conflict. You see, Nicodemus, as a Pharisee, is a man who's used to having his religious ducks in order. He's a Pharisee. He studies the law. He's a man with answers. People come to him and ask questions, and and he tells them uh, what what the Torah says about God and and about the kingdom. But Jesus has, has... um, he's just messed with his mind. He, Jesus has, has messed up his nice religious order because there are two confounding facts about Jesus' ministry. The first fact that Nicodemus acknowledges here is that Jesus is doing signs which irrefutably prove he's a man of God. No one can be doing these things, Nicodemus says. He, this is just not normal behavior. No one could be doing these things unless he were from God. The crowds, if you uh, still have your Bible open, were saying the very same thing in verse 23. Many believed in his name uh, when they saw the signs he was doing. Chapter 2, verse 23. The crowds see what Jesus is doing, the, the signs, and they read those signs and they, and they believe what they say. Uh, Jesus is a man of God. So Nicodemus believes that. He's convinced of it. But the problem is the second fact about Jesus' ministry, and that is he's not making friends with Pharisees and Jewish religious leaders. In fact, he, he seems to be at war with them. If you have your Bible, in chapter 2, this story happens immediately after Jesus cleanses the temple. And so he goes in and physically is overturning tables and driving out the money changers. Jesus is taking on the religious status quo. He is setting himself against the religious leaders. He's clearly not their their friend. And so you see, put yourself in Nicodemus' shoes. He's a sincere man. He's a religious man. He's a well-trained man. And and here comes this, this new teacher in town from Galilee, Jesus, from the little town of Nazareth. And um, he, doesn't, he doesn't have a, 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 an academic pedigree like, uh, like these other men who would have studied under famous teachers of the law. Jesus doesn't seem to have studied under any of the famous teachers, and yet he confounds all the famous teachers. He, he uh, has wisdom that just goes far beyond the teachers. He's, he's incredibly gifted in, in explaining the Torah, and then he's doing these miracles. He's a man of God, and yet he's at war with the men of God. And Nicodemus needs to know why. Why is Jesus, the man of God, opposing the Jewish men of God? And the answer is shocking. It's because they weren't men of God at all. They were not men of God. They were not born again, and that's what Jesus Puts to him. Jesus says in verse 3, truly, truly, it's a, like pay attention, get this. Notice Jesus says that several times in his conversation with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you need to hear this. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so we see here the necessity of new birth. Uh, Jesus in these verses tells us there are two things that uh, natural man cannot do. It's not that they won't do it. They cannot do it. They cannot see the kingdom, and they cannot enter the kingdom. Here's the great dilemma then. You see, of fallen humanity, of everybody that you know, including your family members, by nature, 
everyone you work with, everyone you, you see out there in the world, the great dilemma of humanity is we cannot, by nature, see the kingdom of God. We're blind to it. So that, you see, the things of God are not precious to people. The things of God just it has no weight for people. If you, if you have a conversation and you say to some, someone, well, you know, what the Bible says is, it, just, it has no relevance to them. Who, who could care what the Bible says? That's just your religion. That's just that oppressive book written by all these old dead Jewish people, whatever. It just, who cares? Uh, there's no sense of the glory of God. The goodness, the majesty, there's, there's no sense of the kindness and the love and the grace and the wonder of God. Do you, you, you know what a tragedy that is? That, that people are so excited about um, good things, but just passing things. About vacations and sports and, and, and careers and, and sex and food, all good gifts. And yet people give their life to these things because they think there's life in those things. And the only reason they think that is because they're simply blind to God. It's a, it's a horrible condition. It's a devastating thing to not be able to see God. And Jesus says, well, that's what's going on. Man cannot see the kingdom of God, unless he's, unless he's born again. Now, notice he's telling, he's telling Nicodemus this. Nicodemus is a Jewish teacher. He's not a pagan. He's clearly not a man given to sensual pursuits. He's not a, he's not a hedonist. He's dead serious about God. He's serious about the kingdom of God. He's serious about living according to that, uh, the law of God. So how can Jesus call Nicodemus of all people spiritually blind? What doesn't Nicodemus see? The answer is he doesn't see Jesus. He doesn't see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. He sees a teacher and nothing more. And, and he's trying to figure it out. He's wrestling with it. But, but when he stands in front of Jesus, he doesn't see the glory of God himself in human flesh. And we know that he doesn't because if he did, he would worship. He would worship. He doesn't see the Father in the Son. Because, you see, if you see Jesus, you see the Father. Jesus said that several times. John 12, 45, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. 14, 9, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And if you don't see me, you don't see the Father. And so Nicodemus, you see, doesn't see Jesus. And, th and that was the tragedy of so much of Jesus' ministry. People would, they would marvel at the miracles. They'd be amazed at the teaching. They just, they, they didn't see the truth of who Jesus was so that they came to believe in him and worship him. They didn't see the kingdom of God that he was talking about. And friends, this is, this is the great problem of mankind. We can't see the things that are from God and about God in a way that, 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 that shows that we really get them, we really see it. We understand it, and, and we can't give ourselves spiritual sight. Jesus says, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. 
We don't have the equipment, the ability to fix what's wrong with our spiritual eyesight. And so, so many people, you see, um, no, let me, let me rephrase that. Everyone is in the dark until Jesus turns on the lights. But it's important to realize that. Uh, it's important to realize that we, we cannot make ourselves see. There's so many people who are uh, busy about spiritual things and religious things and church things and even Christian things uh, because they think that by so doing, you see, they, they can find the light switch. Or they're just doing it because they maybe think that's all there is to this Christian, uh, this Christian life. And, it, and it's, it's, it seems, uh, it's what maybe they're used to. It seems comforting and encouraging. It's good for the kids. Whatever. But it's not about, it's not about Jesus. It's not about glorying in, in God. And, may, and maybe you're here tonight and you sense that there's, uh, there's some Nicodemus in you. You know a great deal about the Bible and about Jesus and about the kingdom, but but down deep, there's a sense you don't really get what all the fuss is about. Uh, you don't mind worship. You enjoy your friends. You, um, you appreciate a good sermon. But, but, of course, Nicodemus would have said all those things, wouldn't he? Maybe you sense that there's something, uh, there's something more. Um, that other people seem to have a relationship with Christ that, that you don't have. And, and truth be told, um, you don't... You don't really know what it means to love Christ. You don't, you don't know what it really means to pray and commune with Christ. In truth, you pray, but it's, it's sort of cold and formal, and it feels like doing a religious something. But, you, but you know what, do you know what it's like to actually talk to Jesus? Just from your heart to his. I read an article just a couple weeks ago asking the question, um, how come young people um, often leave the faith when they leave home? And the, the author said, well, let's, let's you know, do a little study on that and, and uh, look at it from, I guess, another perspective. What, how come some kids stay? What, what do we learn um, about uh, how faith is passed on from generation to generation? What, what can we learn uh, about if we, if we just look at the kids who stay and they, and they stay in the church and they plug in and they grow up. And his first thing, he said, is the, is the thing that the distinguishing mark of kids who stay is that they've been converted, which is often easily overlooked. He said when kids uh, you know, walk away from the faith, um, generally it's because they were never actually in the faith. They were in the church. Uh, they were in the young people's group. Uh, they, were, they were engaged in a variety of, of uh, exercise and activities and, and participated willingly and happily, but, but they weren't actually converted. They weren't regenerate. And so when they, when they walked off to school and, and, and the, the world was right there, it, it just was very easy and natural for them to, to um, leave this and, and enjoy that because that was their new context. And so the, the first thing is we got to ask is, are our young people converted? Regenerate? Are we? Are we actually regenerate? And you see, it's critically important because Jesus says, if you're not born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're not talking about, you know, these are, these are nice little um, added benefits it'd be nice to have as a Christian. Something that someday you, you could hope for is, is to be regenerate. No, if, if you're not regenerate, this is what Jesus is telling Nicodemus. Truly, truly, listen to me, Nicodemus. If you're not born again, 
you cannot enter the kingdom of God. It is surely impossible. God will not give entrance to those who are still dead in their sin. And it doesn't matter, you see, their religious pedigree. Nicodemus has religious pedigree up to his eyeballs. He's, he's all about religious pedigree. He knows his stuff. He's committed to all of it. And yet Jesus says it doesn't matter if you're not born again, Nicodemus. Truly, truly, I tell you, you cannot and you will not enter the kingdom of God. It's a good lesson for us again to remind ourselves of. John Murray, former professor at Westminster in Philly, says, no external privilege, no hereditary quality, no birthright, no amount of good works, no self-discipline, no amount of adherence to rules, no degree of human effort will ever make members of the kingdom of God. There's no appreciation of, no entrance into, no life in the kingdom of God except you be born again. You must be born again, verse 7. And that's, that is it's a non-negotiable fact for every single person in this, in this room. You must be born again. So what is it? Well, let's, um, let's just go to some regeneration facts, frequently asked questions, or if they're not frequently asked, they ought to be, uh, just to make our way through. What is regeneration? Well, the, uh, it's very similar, to, as I said, to effectual calling. It's the work of God, a miraculous work, supernatural work, Within the human heart, the core of who you are, where God renews your, your will and your mind by making you, the dead sinner, spiritually alive. Um, the fundamental fact of regeneration is, is life. What happens in regeneration? Life happens. Life from death. It, this is not just a spiritual remodel. Simply a, a, a freshening up, a, a, a slight renewing. What, what happens, you see, here, is dead people come to life. Real life. God being rich in mercy, Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, made us alive, alive together with Christ. Once, Paul says, you had been dead alienated from God, bound in your sin, bound to the grave, bound to the curse and the condemnation of God, bound for eternal hell. But then the voice of God spoke life to you, like the, the voice of the Lord thundering over the abyss of the pre-created world into the darkness and, and the formless void. God spoke and life happened. Just look around you. Life happened. It's like the voice of God speaking over that valley of dead bones in the vision of, Eli, uh, of Ezekiel. And, and what happens is the voice of the Lord goes out over those dead bones. Life happens. Nothing less than or other than. That is regeneration. It's God speaking life. Eternal life into dead bones. Sinners. And the, the Greek has two words, maybe you know, for, for life. One is bios. You get the word biology from that. It just refers to normal plant, animal, human life. And then there's zoe, which refers to 
supernatural in a sense, life, spiritual life, life that comes from God, life that is eternal, not in its, uh, in its length, but its character. It's, it's heavenly life. It's the life that, that, that those who are in heaven know. Zoe. It's heavenly in its nature. And so Jesus, you see, says that which is born of flesh is flesh. It's bios. It's all the flesh can do. People have babies and, 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 and uh, animals have little babies and, and plants produce. And, and it's all bios and it's all good, but it's all it is. But that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Jesus says in 5 verse 11, this is the testimony. 1 John 5 verse 11, John writes, this is the testimony. God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have life. You have bios, of course you do, by the, by the kindness of God. You don't have zoe if you don't have Jesus. You don't have eternal life. You're not yet a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. And if you're not, then the old is still there. It hasn't gone anywhere. So how do you get this thing? I hope you can recognize that that life is pretty fundamental. It's, It's at the core of being a real, actual Christian. It's at the core of actually seeing the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God. You must be born again. So how do you get this? Well, um, you can't get it in a sense, right? God must do it. 3 verse 8, Jesus tells Nicodemus, the wind blows where it wills, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. It is a sovereign monergistic work of God. Monergistic, we're familiar with the word synergy. Synergy is um, two Greek words put together, working together, working with, synergy. Monergy is alone work, working alone. The acts of redemption, as it's applied, it's all monergistic. It's God alone accomplishing, doing the work. We are the passive recipients of what God does. And so the, 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 uh, when Jesus says you must be born again, the Greek verb form there tells us two things. It's aorist, so it's a, it's a one-time event. Doesn't, you're, you're not continually being born again and, and again and again. It's a one-time thing. But it is a passive tense. It's not something you do. It's something that happens to you exactly as your physical birth. It's a one-time event you had utterly nothing to do with. Well, so it is with spiritual things. This is where people get tricked up sometimes, where, uh, and you'll still maybe hear preachers, I write, preaching, you must be born again, as though it were a command for people to do something. It's not a command. It It is a statement of irrefutable necessity. Jesus isn't telling Nicodemus, go get yourself born again. You see, that's how Nicodemus is thinking. He asks, uh, can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb? Jesus, how am I supposed to do this? And the answer is, Nicodemus, you don't do this. And that's very hard for him to hear. He's a man who's used to doing. He's a religious leader, Jewish religious leader. 
And now Jesus is telling them, there's one absolute necessary thing, and Nicodemus, you can't do it. Regeneration is not something that's up to us. Only God can do it, and he must do it. Because it is the only way to see and enter the kingdom. It's the only way to be a child of God. So John speaks of this, John chapter 1, that Jesus came to his own, and his own did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children who were born not of blood or the will of the flesh, not by us, but born of God. Children who are born of God. That's regeneration. And Paul says in Galatians 6.15, it's all that counts. Neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision. But a new creation. That's what counts. Are you born again? A new creation. Well, what are the evidences that would show that you've been born again. Jesus says the wind blows where it wills and you don't see the wind, but you see the effects of the wind. What are the effects that we'll see when the, when the spirit of regeneration has blown through a person's life? Well, we'll see new desires and new actions. You, there will be evidences. Again, Paul tells us in Romans chapter uh, 8 that uh, the, the, the natural mind is hostile to God, does not submit to the law. So when, when there's no regeneration, you're going to see a person who's fundamentally committed to themselves, even if they're Christ, Christian. The fundamental purpose of their life is self. That's the mind of the flesh. The mind of the flesh has no taste for the spiritual truths, the things of God. There's, there's no sense of the, of, the, of the glory of God, the goodness of God that breaks, that breaks through our pride and, and, and humbles us and makes us thankful. There's, 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 no, there's no hunger for spiritual milk. Peter talks about that in 1 Peter chapter 2. But when regeneration happens, you see, there's, new, there's, there's a new desire created within the human heart. What had once been distasteful now becomes desired and, and you yearn for God. You want, to know, you want to know God. You want to know Christ. You want to know Scripture. That's what happens when a person is regenerate. You'll often see when a, when a person is newly converted, they, they've come from death to life, you'll often see an insatiable hunger for Scripture and for sermons. Would that that would continue all of our life? It doesn't. For whatever God's purpose is, at some point he wants us to exercise spiritual muscles and start pursuing these things. But you know that when that has happened to a person, they have this hunger for the things of God, that life has happened. Sinclair Ferguson says, Regeneration creates new desires to worship God, to know His truth, to meet His people, to serve His kingdom, and love and honor His Son. These aspirations are not perfect. They ebb and they, fl and they flow. At times we lament the weakness of them, but however far we fall short of what we wish to be, we confess that we are not what we were. And that our mind has been set on things above. End of the day, what we want is to know God. What we want is to serve God. What we want is to be like Christ. If the Spirit of God is within you. And there will be new actions. John's letters are the best um, place to go for, for, for those things. But his gospel deals with it as well. Repentance. I have the verses there for you in your outline. You'll see repentance. 
John 3, 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning for God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. It doesn't mean that this person is without sin or that they don't sin. It's that they don't continue living in and enjoying and boasting about a lifestyle of sin. It grieves them when they sin. They don't keep on living in it as though they belong there because they don't belong there. Even, even though... the um, You'll find grievous, grievous sins in the lives of God's children. No one who is born of God makes a home there. Is that no one is at peace there? It can't be. Why? Because they're born of God. The Spirit within them won't let them be at peace. Those who are in Christ are genu- genuinely new, though not yet totally new. Is how Anthony Hookema puts it. Uh, you'll see the fruit of love. 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. People who love each other have been, they give evidence they've been born of God. That would never happen in truth. Uh, you'll see faith. 1 John 5, 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus the Christ has been born of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. So faith and love there again. You'll see actual faith. i I don't, I just believe, right? And people say, well, why do you believe? And, and it's not because it's just how you were raised. It's, it's not because you just made up your mind. If you actually really believe in Jesus Christ, is the Christ the Son of God, it's because the Spirit has, has blown and, and you've been regenerate and the things of God now make sense and, and you're able to say, Lord, I do believe. And you'll persevere in that faith. First John 5, verse 4. Everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. Ultimately, um, you will persevere in the faith so that the world and the devil and the flesh don't have the last word. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Those are the evidences, the fruits of regeneration. Well, how then can you get regenerate? How does it happen? Well, um, it's always by the Spirit, right? The Spirit, Jesus points to, blows where it wills. The wind blows at wills, and so it is with everyone born of the Spirit. So the Holy Spirit, it's always of the Spirit. It's ordinarily through the Word. I say ordinarily because the Spirit is not, is not bound to that in the sense that the Spirit could... Uh, think of John the Baptist, who leapt in his mother's womb um, as, as uh, Elizabeth, or as Mary, comes into the room. Uh, he, he didn't hear the Word, but the presence of the Christ... Uh, made this little, this little baby in Elizabeth's womb rejoice. And so um, it's always by the Spirit, ordinarily through the Word. And I say that because 1 Peter 1, Peter writes, you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding Word of God. Well, then how can it happen to you? Well, um, I think what, script we, what we see in Scripture is that as people are under the preaching of the word, God opens hearts to believe. And so you think about Lydia, the seller of purple, and she's gathered with some other ladies along the river, and this, this man comes up and starts talking to them about Jesus of Nazareth. And we read in Acts 16 that the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. Boys and girls, this is one reason why your mom and dad bring you to church. It's the most important reason they bring you to church. It's because, boys and girls, we believe that God uses the preaching of the word to create faith and to 
wake you up spiritually. And, and you've testified, many of you have testified that you, you were just coming to church, you were kind of doing the thing because your parents wanted you to, you were just zoning out during services, but then at some point in time, something happened where that truth started to break through and it started to make sense and you started to come under conviction and you started to realize this is about you and it's for you and, and you have a responsibility to do something with it. And young people, I just want to just put it to you. Is that, is that happening to you? Is it making sense? Are the lights going on? It has to happen for everybody. How does it happen? It happens through the preaching of the word as the spirit takes that word and applies it and convicts and then shows you Jesus and then calls you to believe in him, to respond to him. Young people, my prayers for you always is that that will continue to happen. And I praise God every time it does. But it's not just young people need to hear this. We, we all need to um, be willing to ask. Right, Nicodemus is an old man an older man at least. And Jesus tells him, you must be born again. It's very possible in the church all your life and not be born again. It's absolutely possible to be serious about your faith. Nicodemus was serious. But not to have a love for God, not to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ so that you love Christ and that you hunger for him. You must be born again. And the, and the wonderful good news, of course, is that we can be. Uh, the gospel is... Um, is the truth that God is able and willing. It it's fascinates me that Jesus moves right from uh, talking to Nicodemus, you must be born again, and, and he moves right into four, right? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So Jesus doesn't say to Nicodemus, you must be born again, therefore get born again. What Jesus says is, Nicodemus, you must be born again. You need to believe that God sent his son because he loves this world. And if you believe in him, Nicodemus, you shall not perish. You shall have everlasting life. And guess what? Nicodemus did believe. He came to faith. Remember, Nicodemus is one of the men who came and took Jesus down from the cross. This old man did come to faith. A living, true faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was born again. God was gracious to bring this old man to true, living faith. And so the charge would be tonight, if you're asked, well, how can I, how can I be born again? Well, the, the, the command is believe. Just believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who came because God so loved the world and God so loved you. And then look in your life, friends. I just encourage you, look in your life. Are there any evidences of regeneration in your life? Is there evidence of faith and love and hope and perseverance? Is there, is there evidence of a, of a desire for the things of God? And if there are not, then, then, then all the word would say tonight is, well, well, don't stop or settle there, but pursue those things. Lift that up in prayer to the Lord. Lift that up in a conversation with a, with a pastor or an elder or a godly friend and, and just say the truth. The truth is, I don't have a desire for God. What should I do? And begin that journey of asking the Lord, you see, to, to give it to you. Do not settle for not seeing the kingdom. Do not settle for not entering the kingdom. This is, this is, these are things of eternal import. And I pray that by God's grace, according to his will, that everyone here would actually truly know, yes, by the grace of God, I have been born from above. May God grant it. Amen.
Oh, God, I thank you that you speak over a dead world and you call the dead to life. And I thank you, Lord, that you've done that in our life, in our lives, that we can testify that you've given us a desire for the things of God. And we, we confess that those desires are often weak and sometimes even seem non-existent. And yet, oh, Lord, when we see Christ displayed in his word, or we, we hear a song that, that points us to Christ, our hearts burn and ache and yearn. We want to know Christ. We grieve our sin. Father, I thank you for the gift of regeneration. I pray, Lord, for those here tonight who maybe um, know so much about you but do not yet truly know you. And they're, they're torn between the flesh and, and the faith, between the world and the church. And, and they sort of live there in, in a double life. Lord, I pray that if it be be your will tonight, that they could see that it's essential that they be born again and and that they can be by the power of God as we we simply would turn to you and ask for uh, the faith that you give and the love and, and the hope that come from the Spirit so that we can actually see the things of God. They are precious to us and, and we can have full assurance that we one day will enter the kingdom in all of its glory as we enter it now by faith. So, Lord, I pray you take your word tonight and apply it to our hearts. And to you be all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.